I'm Lisa Wagner, and you're listening to another episode of the Epic Mind, Body, Spirit podcast. Joining me today is Leslie Davenport, and I'm so excited to have Leslie here with us. How are you doing, Leslie? Oh, just great. I'm thrilled to be here as well. Well, you're a doll for doing this. Um, Leslie is, um, I got connected with her through the internet, as um, which, which is just, you know, another, just amazing how the internet connects us to people that you know, we would never otherwise actually get to talk to. Um, Leslie has written a really wonderful book called Healing and Transformation Through Self-Guided Imagery, and I'm very excited to get to talk to her about it. She is really a a pioneer in the role of of using guided imagery in psychotherapy and integrative medicine. Um, Leslie, you're a licensed marriage and family therapist, correct? Yes, that's right. And you have degrees in both the arts and psychology, I, I believe. Yes, that's and, right. My mm-hmm. and what what I think the one of the last credentials I guess that I want to identify that um, really drew me into Leslie. She's also an ordained minister, and yes. I think what's so beautiful about Leslie's work, um, at least what I've been exposed to, is um, your recognition of the connection to spirit as yes. a part of our health and healing is just so. So clear, so understated, but so pervasive and clear. And uh, so I'm just really thrilled to get to talk to you today. Mm, great. Yes. Well, you know, just starting with what you've said, um, you know, even though I'm a psychotherapist, as you've said, um, I see spirituality as something that really can't be separated, or at least it lives on a continuum. But that even as people are, you know, wanting to, make sense of their lives or work through a difficult uh, situation, those larger questions about, you know, what's important to me and meaning and what does it mean to be alive just end up having such a significant role to play. And I think it is too bad that it's left out of so much of psychology. Yeah, it is because, you know, if you, um, you know, there are very, you know, few areas in life, our lives that follow specific formulas you know I mean you can you know you can balance your bank account by adding and subtracting numbers and you can drive your car by you know making sure you follow the speed limit I mean there are definite discrete boundaries in our lives and how we make decisions but so much of who we are is is driven by our intuitions our emotions by the wholeness of who we are and and to segment out um, a part of our core and say, well, that's kind of fluffy over there. It doesn't really, it's not really involved in, in this is, is kind of silly because it, it, it informs so much of who we are that we, whether we acknowledge that part of ourselves or not is significant. And how Absolutely. we acknowledge it and express it is significant. So um, I love that about your work. So let's, I got to stop babbling here. Share with us a little bit about how you got started with guided imagery. <laughs> Okay. Well, you know, I'd like to tell the story that my first uh, teacher of imagery was my cat when I was about eight years old. And what I mean by that is, and I know that's not what people usually expect to hear, but I remember as a child being fascinated at watching her sitting on the ground, maybe looking up at a ledge, Uh, And then going into absolute stillness, having her eyes so focused that I could trace her vision as a line through space. And then effortlessly, she would leap up onto the ledge. 
And I like to say that she taught me something about seeing where you want to go. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And, you know, there is, there's such a clarity and such a precision to, precision to how a cat moves. <laughs> yes. That's really cool. Yeah. But then for the more formal training. <laughs> yeah, I guess you don't put um, that on a resume. Huh? <laughs> I would say my um, first formal exposure to some form of visualization came actually through the Sufi tradition, mm. which uses um, uh, imagining the realms of spirit in a variety of different ways um, as a spiritual practice. Um, laid the first foundation of having an opportunity to experience what that's actually like, to do imagery and to see what states of being are cultivated and what qualities are felt um, as we allow our mind or our inner vision to um, picture or sense something specific. Um, and then you mentioned that I have a degree in the arts, and it's specifically in dance. And I also feel like that ended up being a huge contributor to the work I'm doing now because I never looked at dance as entertainment exactly. I was always fascinated by the mind-body connection. And if I had a quality like um, fear and I just let it move through my body, did my body want to collapse, did it want to jump, did it want to run, did it want to crouch, um, and so I, I sort of used dance and the arts and movement as a way of exploring the body-mind connection. And I remember teaching dance a lot with imagery. You know, I might say, okay, now let your arms move like the quality of the clouds, but let your legs move like lightning. Mm -hmm. So, um, and again, kind of the back to the cat, you know, have, using... Uh, teaching dancers and in my own choreography, seeing where you want to go. You know, there's that whole application of imagery in sports uh, performance where basketball players who imagine shooting the basketball into the hoop actually perform better than those who just practice without the imagery added. And so, of course, that has a, a role to play in the arts and in dance in particular. Yeah, I loved reading about that. Uh, you share that um, study at the, I think it was the University of Valencia. Yeah. And that was fascinating um, that, um, the you know, they had multiple groups, uh, you know, groups that um, just kept everything the same. And then one that practiced more and one that didn't practice more, but just did the visualization. And then some that did both a little half practice and half visualization. And the group that performed the best was the group that did the visualization, correct? Yeah, well, the, the top scoring was the one that combined them, or which combined I really like, too. Yeah, that they That's imaged right. it and they practiced. That's right. And then, right. and then the group that did the second best were the ones that only imagined, and they actually did better than the ones who only practiced. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that really shows, you know, the, the power. And I, I, I appreciate what you were talking about with dance because I think um, I'm not a dancer and uh, I'm not, no one I think would ever describe me as being particularly graceful in my movements. But I do often think of things in terms of rhythms, you know, because um, mm. so much of our lives are about timing and rhythms and the more I think attuned we are to the natural rhythms in our lives 
the more smoothly yeah. it happens, you know. And we've all yeah. experienced that where we're trying so hard to make something happen and it doesn't work. <laughs> and we shift our focus to what we're more naturally attuned to at that time. And suddenly, you know, everything falls into place. We, we find the babysitter or we get the money or our schedule opens up or whatever it is. So I think yeah. a lot in terms of rhythms of life. And so I, I love that. I didn't know that about you. But, you know, how perfect that you're also a dancer. That's really <laughs> neat. Um, and talk well, to us about let me just say a little bit of related to what you were saying about the rhythms, because um, you probably recall in the book, there's a section that I call eyes open imagery. Yes. Little exercises at the end of each chapter and then a, or the end of each uh, case study and then a chapter at the end. And it's, it's related to what you were saying, which is that in addition to the formal imagery, which we'll talk about where people close their eyes and do a relaxation practice and let an image arise, it struck me one day, um, you know, uh, that that we may have something like a magnificent tree come up in an imagery experience, and yet we might run, you know, past 20 different magnificent trees in order to sit down, close our eyes, and picture a tree. So I thought, wow, you know, we're actually surrounded by living images. Yeah. And what if we approached all of our life uh, with the same qualities that we bring into a formal imagery session, meaning that we're calm inside, we take time to be calm, that we look at things with fewer preconceived notions, mm -hmm. that we look at something kind of freshly and with a spirit of curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I think when we do that, the world becomes very alive and very expressive. And I think that is also one of the ways of tuning into those natural rhythms that you were describing because when our preconceived notions and expectations dissolve um, then we can tune into that much more easily yeah you know there's um there's a line in a movie years ago where these two women were talking and the one woman says to the other you know oh you find something wonderful you know in every man you meet and the other woman says yeah I know I'm lucky that way and and I think there's something about you know um when we're able to tune into where we're at at any given time in our lives and see the value of it, to see the value mm -hmm. of where we're at and to see what it has to offer, you know, suddenly we, we feel really fortunate, you know, yeah. because we realize how much, you know, um, how much is already there. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, our culture sometimes values, it's almost like um, sometimes they... Uh, there's a, a premium put on pickiness or or if something is gained <laughs> through being difficult or you know what I mean mm -hmm. and I do and, and I think that's so ironic you know like my whole yeah. life is is about striving for it to be easy and effortless you know uh, enjoying <laughs> and allowing that and when things get to I mean I've learned as I've gotten older that when things get to be really difficult it's that's like a red flag for me to ask myself is this what I should be doing? Because yeah. I've gotten used to the fact that the more I just, you know, I'm into, I'm into where I'm at now and aware of what's going on in my life now and what I need to focus on, things naturally, you know, kind of fall into place. And I see the, I see the value of where I'm at right now instead of worrying about where I'm supposed to be, you know, next week. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I love that part of the book. Yes. I was going to say, you know, um, 
another way that I would say what you're talking about is I like to I like to say that we're surrounded by miracles, mm-hmm. and that I, that might sound you know kind of corny or kind of uh, you know not very grounded, but if we take really simple facts like we're moving through space at 19 miles per second, you know, and I like to say we're flying through space on a mud ball, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that we're in a universe with a hundred billion galaxies, not stars, but galaxies, you know, and there's 5 million to 100 million species just on this planet. Mm -hmm. And even with all that diversity and all of that grandeur, then there's only one you, you know, with your unique combination of qualities and there's only one me. I mean, it's pretty miraculous if we think about it. Yeah, it is. a very awesome and very um, hard to explain, and that I think that's a really good thing to kind of keep us open from clamping down on what you know, how we think it is, and what we think we need. And you know. it, it is, and you know, and how many of us? Um, it's it's so often the simple things in life that give us the most sort of pleasure and surprise. You know, that it just worked out that way. And so um, I think what I loved about your, when you talk about that eyes open imagery, there's just, it to me, um, what crossed my mind when I was reading it is it was also about having that sort of appreciation and gratitude for just the, the, like you said, sort of the simple miracles of life that are just going on around us right now that we even exist and that, um, Mm -hmm. you know, those simple pleasures that are just a part of our everyday life and, and, being able to see them for what they are right there in front of us. Exactly. And, you know, doing a lot of my work over the years in a hospital setting, you know, I do so often hear the things that, um, you know, come up in movies and books where someone who has a sudden life-threatening diagnosis or is towards the end of their life, you know, they they um, sort of open to that... Um, you know, that grandeur and, and miraculousness sort of naturally, you know, and then you hear the things like, you know, I wish that I had been more grateful for the people in my life, or I wished I had expressed my love for them, or I wished I had appreciated the little things that I don't have now. And we, you know, we don't have to wait for something like that. And, and I think we're sort of both talking about that is staying awake to that. Staying awake to that. Well, you know, one of the things, um, I'm a self-help junkie, you know, I can't even count how many <laughs> books I've read. Um, but I want to just comment on a couple of specific um, aspects to your book that I loved. One is, um, you know, it's very complete. I mean, you know, you provide, you know, a great introduction to guided imagery. You um, you walk the reader through some ways that it can be used. You provide some scripts and tools, you know, as a jumping off point. You give examples. You go through sort of some myths and barriers. I mean, you really, it's very complete. And, um, and it's, it's, it's uh, not that thick. I mean, you're, you're, you give all of this information in a very concise way. But the part that just really made me love it is that um, there are many times through the book that as I was reading, I thought, you know, this prose is very lovely. (laughs) And I find that a lot of people when they write, either if they want to be very kind of descriptive, then they tend to go on and on and on. 
And if they want to be concise, it tends to be very dry. And what I was really struck by when you go through these kind of vignettes, um, case studies mm -hmm. or samples with, with your clients, um, mm -hmm. you know, in a very, sh you know, few number of sentences, you give us, or at least I felt I had such a sense of the person and mm -hmm. I like them and I wanted to know more about them. So while the book was very complete, I'm also wanting to know, did Evelyn have the ending that she wanted, you know, how is Leonard doing? Is he hearing, able to hear more now? I mean, you know, I really am curious about these people. And it was like all these like little beginnings of novels that I thought, okay, well, we need a follow up to these. And so I thought that was just great because um, it was, uh, it really was a testament to your, to your presentation. So while, you know, the book, I don't know, it's a couple hundred pages. There's a, there's a lot in there. And I think it's because you have a very, a very concise style of writing that really, you know, you can convey a lot in a few sentences. So I really particularly love that about the book. Um, <laughs> Thank you. So, you know, I'll just say a word about the writing process because it's a little ironic. Um, I didn't set out with a goal to write a book. I was actually very fortunate that I was speaking about my work at a conference, which I do quite a bit. And someone who was there approached me after my talk and said, this is so fascinating. You know, it seems like such interesting work. You know, have you ever written about it or thought about it? And I'd done a couple little articles, but not much. And she said, well, I'm connected to a publishing house. You know, what do you think? And, you know, with with the, an approach like that, I, I didn't even know if it was real or not. But sure enough, a week later, I was having lunch with a publisher. And then that was about three years ago from now. But I didn't see myself as a writer at all. Um, having Having been a dancer where the language wasn't verbal, it was movement and other forms of expression, I actually felt like I was at a loss. And I, I like to say that initially, I I felt like I was squeezing the words out of the bottom of a toothpaste tube. You know, I'd kind of think and then I'd go, duh, you know. But because I kind of like a parallel process to imagery, because I let go of my ideas about writing and what you have to know and how you have to do it. And I just started expressing with putting, you know, sending my inner critic on a vacation. Mm -hmm. uh, it just kind of clicked in and started to flow. Mm -hmm. So I'll put that out as a word of encouragement well, yeah. <laughs> for anyone. And, and I'll tell you, you know, what the, the other piece to it that struck me and why I wanted to really um, push this point for anybody listening. Um, I think that I, I know for myself, I'm, I, I'm a very decisive person. I tend to make decisions fairly quickly and easily. And I believe there, there's different reasons for that. But one of the reasons is, is that I'm able to, you know, kind of go to that place inside and get to the clarity. And when I'm clear mm -hmm. inside, then the decision is easy. I mean, the, yeah. the from you know what it is once you have the clarity. The, I think where people struggle is getting to the point of clarity. And what yeah. I found in your writing and in, and in uh, people that I would, I would similarly compliment is that it struck me as I was reading the book how clear you were about what you wanted to share. Mm. And that you were so clear about your intention and the information and the value of the information that that made it just flow effortlessly throughout the, the 200 mm. pages. So there was nothing forced. It wasn't contrived. You weren't trying to, you know, sometimes you read a book and the person, you just feel like they're trying to cram in 
like all yeah. this extra information that takes away from mm-hmm. the point, you know, and, yeah. and it almost, it's like they're trying to write two or three different books at the same time. But <laughs> your book was just so clear in intention. And I think it, it, it's mm-hmm. interesting that you mentioned that process because I think the book does embody, it is the result of that process of going in and being clear within yourself so yeah. that the writing then just becomes a natural extension of that clarity. Yeah, um, thank you. I'm so glad that comes across because that is a good description of what the experience ended up being. So let's talk a little bit now. Um, before I forget, for for anyone who maybe doesn't make it to the end of the podcast, I want to make sure I mention that um, LeslieDavenport.com contains some really great resources. You know, some of the the vignettes and, and worksheets that I'm, I'm going to talk to Leslie about, she actually has available on her website. You can download PDF files. You can download MP3 and hear her, her kind voice, you know, reading it through. So if you want to, you know, just listen. Um, so she has a lot of great resources on the website. And in the book, you kind of, what's neat is you, you um, walk through um, a worksheet, you walk through a worksheet and you go through and show a sample of one of these, you know, of your clients that you've introduced us to and kind of show how that person um, used the worksheet. And I think that's a really great way to illustrate how, you know, the diversity of ways in which this can be used. But I think it might be helpful. Can you just give people an idea of how they can use one of these self-facilitation worksheets? Yes. In fact, um, I think we're at a really good point here because, you know, there's many approaches to imagery. And sometimes when you hear that, you someone might assume we're talking about a script you know, that you hear someone's voice saying, now you're walking along the beach and you hear the seagulls and the sound of the waves. And although there's a little bit of that as part of helping people relax, I'm um, a very strong advocate that the imagery itself arises from within the person Mm -hmm. rather than being provided by the guide who's... um, facilitating an imagery session. So it's a non-scripted form of imagery. So so the, the worksheet basically tells people different ways to relax, different ways to quiet their thoughts, um, how to turn their attention inward, and then just invite an image to form and how to explore that. Right, because the image itself is informative. So you don't want to color that by by creating or, you know, almost supplanting what the person would come to themselves, you know, by a beach scene when what comes to their mind yeah. is a scene from their childhood or from a forest or in the sky or whatever. Exactly. And in fact, it can even unintentionally be um, not a relaxing place. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a beach is a wonderful place for a lot of people, but if somebody you know, had a bad experience there if they almost drowned when they were a kid. Mm-hmm. When they hear the sound of the waves, it's not going to be relaxing. Mm-hmm. So as much as possible that the that the images would be something that was very attuned to the person. So it's really more attempting to facilitate ways of tuning in so that each person yeah. goes on a very unique journey. Well, I love that. Well, you know, the first um, meditation CD that I created um, has no music in the background. And it's mostly just guiding people through sort of asking themselves questions. Um, it's mm-hmm. si- similar, different than, than yours uh, work, but similar. And the reason um, I didn't even want any music is I just wanted the sound of my voice and I wanted the person to just 
uh, I was trying to like almost sort of minimize my yeah. presence and yeah. be just that sort of guiding nudge so that the thoughts, the images, the the feelings, whatever that surfaced to them what was not influenced by anything else other than their own thoughts. Exactly. Yep. Yep. I'm right on board with that approach. That sounds wonderful. And I thought that was so, so I love the, the worksheets that you and the, the tools that you give. Now, one of the areas that I thought was just so um, especially helpful to people that might be either new with guided imagery or, or feeling a little stuck are in chapter seven, you go through six myths and I'd like mm -hmm. to just um, read through each one of them, just state okay. it and have you comment on it. So okay, the, good. the first one was guided imagery requires a rarefied state of consciousness. <laughs> yes, you know, guided imagery is similar in certain ways to things like meditation, hypnosis. You know, you'll hear things about an induction or going into a deep state of relaxation. And those things are all wonderful and they have their place, but I really like to emphasize how natural imagery is and how available it is. And here's a really quick example that actually anyone listening can do it right now. It takes about 20 seconds. And it's simply to answer the question, how many windows do you have in your house? I'm just going to pause here. How many windows do you have in your house? And the point being, if people take, you know, 30 seconds to do that is, you know, 99% of people close their eyes, start, you know, seeing their living room, going one, two, three, four, wait, let me walk down the hallway, oh, here's the bedroom, five, six, and, you know, they just drop immediately into images. And nobody comes up with the number like 15 Unless, you know, unless they just remodeled or something and they would happen to have that information. But it's not how we access information. And so I really like to show people in very simple examples that we use imagery all the time, mm -hmm. that we retrieve information. And that that didn't require, you know, 15 minutes of breathing first, even though that's a good thing to do, too. <laughs> right. And that's a, another myth. You have to learn to stop your thoughts before imagery is possible. Yeah. You know, I've again, you know, I've sometimes had people say to me, well, I wish I could do imagery, but I tried in a workshop once and, you know, I was just thinking about the shopping list and, and that's what we all do. You know, it's, is that part of the practice is, um, disengaging from that kind of thinking um, and refocusing inward. It might be on focusing on the breath. There's a lot of different ways of doing it. We all get distracted, and then it's practicing letting go again. But so far, I haven't met anyone who just stops their thoughts. That part of the practice is redirecting our focus. And that the more time you invest, just like learning to play tennis or learning to play the piano, it gets a little bit easier as you go, but it, it's not an automatic thing, and there is no stopping our thoughts as far as I can tell. No, and you have to learn to, to I think, trust it, trust yourself and learn to, um, it's going to sound strange, hear the different voices in your head, but <laughs> what I mean is, you know, we, we do have different voices that kind of run. You know, there's the voice that maybe is kind of there reminding us about things, and then there's kind of yeah. a voice that maybe, you know, um, 
um, where we become aware of feelings that we have. I mean, we have different ways in which we sort of hear or have a sense of our thoughts. And I think that it's not so much about stopping our thoughts as it is sort of focusing in on, on sort of getting to just tuning into sort of a single place within us. And, you know, the maybe part that is, you know, thinking about the laundry list, you know, she just sort of quiets down for, you know, the grocery list, she quiets down or this part, but there's still, you know, so we're only going to like kind of talk with one voice. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. And, and, you know, it's actually one of the really rich areas for imagery exploration, because while imagery is great for things like stress management, which is a little bit what we're talking about with the relaxation, it can really tune us into, as you're saying, these different parts of ourselves. I talked a while ago about like an inner critic voice, Mm -hmm. or there's um, often a child self, and there can be... um, a clown part of us, um, uh, and there's the wise parts of us, and a lot of the work here is because we, again, we don't tune into those some of those deep inner voices as much. It's like discovering this treasure inside that we have, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, again, I think we that our culture and the pace of our culture and the emphasis really emphasizes a lot of the list because we're often achievement focused and there's a lot to do, but those inner voices are there as well. And so it's kind of giving room and giving space to discover a lot of that. Yeah. And you know, when I, when I talk to people about um, sort of learning to listen to what I'm going to call our, our intuition, or maybe you want to call your higher self or whatever that, that, that guiding voices that is the most wise or the most helpful. Um, what my experience that I try to share is that, um, it's usually one of the quieter voices. It's not the one that yells at you and it's not the one that includes any kind of judgment or emotion. It's usually very kind of quiet. And that what I have found that works well is I tell people to just practice listening to it as if, like, you know, if that book, if you're walking out the door and that quiet voice tells you to pick up the book and take it with you, rather than, and then mm-hmm. your another voice will kick in and say, why, you don't need the book. Why are you going to take that book? You have to carry it around. <laughs> Instead, to just say, you know what, just for the heck of it, I'm going to take the book. You know, the worst that yeah. can happen is you schlep this book around, but you almost yeah. have to practice listening because it takes yeah. a while to recognize it. And then when you recognize it, it's like, um, you know, for anyone that we're close to or we care about or we're, we've, we've had um, frequent communication with, we get to a point where we know their voice. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter how yeah, long it how is. Long. You know, since we've heard it, we know that voice. Um, yeah. And I think that once, sometimes you have to practice sort of hearing the different voices and honoring until you mm-hmm. really get in. And then when you really honor that voice, it becomes so distinctive that you know it. Absolutely. No, that's a really great example. That's a really great example. And, and you're right. It is confusing at the beginning. Like I've noticed a lot of people have, you know, a fear voice as though it were telling the truth rather Mm -hmm. than expressing a fear. 
Yeah, because a lot of times fear is so clever. It it it, it masks <laughs> in this sort of like super rational, and I'm going to make sure you're safe and that you're doing the right thing yep. and you're responsible. Yeah, you know, and mm -hmm. yeah, it takes on so many forms. And I another example I, I want to give on this point. I have four older brothers, mm -hmm. and um, even some of their wives have trouble telling their voices apart if they call some we're a very close-knit family and you can call somebody's house and some other family member that doesn't live there could answer the phone you know uh -huh. and uh, so they'll even get confused by just a hello but for me you know I've heard these voices for almost 50 years they can just say half of a word and I know who that person is yeah and I think that that's you know it's so funny because um and that's how I think these voices are, you know, it's, they, they, they're, they go in layers and then you finally realize, oh, okay, that's not me, me being responsible. That's me finding yet another way to rationalize why I, you know, <laughs> should do that when I really don't want to, yeah. or why I'm, this is why that's not, I'm not being safe. That's me being scared. And I'm yes. trying to rationalize why I shouldn't do it because I'm, you know, cause I don't want to, but I don't want to face my fear. And, so it's digging through all that. In fact, that's one of the myths you have. Um, guided imagery is for relaxing and forgetting about the difficulties in life. Like, that's all it is, you know? <laughs> right, right. Because it is used so often for stress management, which is right. a great entree in. But it's so rich because it is just turning our awareness to any and all aspects of ourselves. Yeah. So sure, there's going to be more there. Well, there's one last thing I want to ask you about. As I was reading your book, I was just, you know, I thought, okay, I have the opportunity to talk to the woman who wrote this book. So what do I really want to ask her? And the question that came to my mind um, in looking at the, um, you know, the impact that images have on us, you know, we're talking about the, the basketball players, you know, that improve their performance and, and you know, um, the um, value that it, images can have on our own healing everything share some of your thoughts of the impact of movies and television you know we see uh, so many images every day on yeah, television yeah what do you no, think that's about a really that? good point in fact i i actually don't have a television myself <laughs> really <laughs> yeah i haven't had a television in probably i don't know eight eight nine years i do watch movies but you know i'm pretty selective <laughs> Um, well, you know, this is, that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says a lot right there. <laughs> it, this kind of goes into some interesting brain science I've been reading about recently, which is that, you know, there's all these different parts of our brain that store information. And for simplicity's sake, part of what's called the old brain doesn't differentiate the source of information, experiences, and imagery. Um, in other words, um, just like sort of in a similar way, like we were talking about these inner voices, oftentimes, for example, if we had a very critical parent, it gets internalized as an inner voice as though it were part of us. And our brains, unless we really do some discerning and some looking and some sensing, we don't even realize that, that we've internalized it. So the same thing, we might be taking in a lot of images, especially depending what kind of movies you're drawn to, um, we're absorbing those images and our old brain has a very hard time discerning 
where it came from, what actually happened, what's a, a fear, what's a memory, um, which has a good side, which is the part that if we cultivate healing images, that's why it can be so powerful in the area of sports performance, in the area of medicine, in the area of psychology and spirituality. But then the reverse is true also for just these sponges of all sorts of images. They are having an impact we probably don't even realize. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I this would you know this is a whole other discussion, but I I think there I I have a lot of concern about how much television young children watch for that very reason, you know. And I think that there is, um, you know, when our brains are you know kind of forming and when we're learning, you know, we're even you know we're even spongier, you know, when we're children, mm-hmm. uh, and then we are you know as adults and. Um, uh, you know, I, I wonder about that. I don't have children, but, um, mm-hmm. and whenever I, I'm very close to my nieces and nephews and whenever they come to my house, you know, the, the, their parents would a lot of times, you know, pack in the bag, you know, cause they would come like for the weekend or whatever, you know, here's a favorite movie or here's a video or whatever. And I'm like, no, well, we're, that's okay. We're not going to need that stuff, you know, because mm-hmm. we've got plenty of other stuff we're going to do. And the TV doesn't go on, um, for that reason, because I feel like, you know, there's, um, there's time for that. I feel like as an adult, I have a different context, you know, for images mm-hmm. that I, I see versus what I think mm-hmm. this three-year-old needs to see, you know, even if they don't right. understand the language or, or the context of the images, you know, yes. they don't yes. need to see that, you know, so yes. it's interesting. And, and I think anybody could, from a very common sense place, just for example, imagine the difference of the impact it would have on all parts of us if we were hearing, say, the sound of a breeze in trees versus the sound of cars racing that might be part of a movie or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You know, that our, I mean, just based on our own experiences, you know, it's it's easy to make that leap to what it, what it would be like for children. Yeah. Well, Leslie, you have uh, such, as I mentioned, you have such great information on your website. So I just want to run through this for folks so they know. It's it's mm-hmm. lesliedavenport.com, mm-hmm. and you've got um, the worksheets and downloads, and you have mm-hmm. a newsletter on there too, correct? People yes, can people can, exactly, leave their email, sign up, and I do periodic um, newsletters with tips on imagery. And, you know, I'm really committed to... Um, helping people recognize what a natural resource this is within themselves and honestly for everyone. And so I I am um, really active in answering questions and, um, you know, if someone does hit an obstacle or a place of confusion, kind of helping to sort through that. And anybody that can daydream can enjoy imagery, right? right? That's exactly right. And we've all done that. We've all at some point stared out the window and, and just let our minds wander. Well, mm-hmm. Leslie, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk with me. Leslie's book, again, is Healing and Transformation Through Self-Guided Imagery. And her contact information and, and all, those, uh, um, all that goodness that she's sharing is available at her website, lesliedavenport.com. Uh, this podcast is available from my website, Epic Meditations. And uh, you can also find uh, prior episodes on the site as well. Leslie, thanks again for taking the time. I appreciate it. And everyone listening, have a beautiful day.